Alan, can we give it up for Alan, the DJ in the back, our sound guy? Nice job. That was some funky church music. I liked it. It's good. Um, I remember uh, several months ago, Jeff Drott, if you guys um, know who he is, just really challenged us that as we, as we read the word, um, to literally ask the Holy Spirit to give us eyes and ears to see and give us the ability to see ourselves in the middle of, of the story. And so I'm going to ask that same thing just tonight as we read what, is, what would appear to be an old and familiar story to many of us that, that God would give us spiritual eyes to see and ears to hear and to literally see ourselves in the story. For the Holy Spirit to illuminate which one and where do we fit in this parable that Jesus is speaking to us that still speaks to us today. Because our God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen. So if you'll put on your listening ears uh, as we read, it's in Luke chapter 15. If you want to follow along, it's not going to be on the screen. Um, Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son as we know it. But tonight what we're going to realize and recognize is that it's also the story of the prodigal father. Because the word prodigal actually means to be, to be reckless in something. It is to be freely lavishing without care. Or concern. That's what the word prodigal means. And so with that context, we look at chapter 15 of Luke. and verse 11, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them, between the two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he was with him, because he has him back in sound, safe and sound, excuse me. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his, bro- his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. This parable is actually one of three that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the understanding has to be that in that day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the religious. They were those who wanted to put the love of our great God in a box. They didn't understand his paradigm. They didn't understand who he was. Who was this man coming with such radical love that in the face of sin would step into yet not turn away? Who is this man who with the Mary Magdalene wash his feet with this precious perfume and oil? Don't you know, Jesus, who she is? What kind of a woman that she is? And so that's the context that we come into as we realize this story and why Jesus is telling it. This whole parable is to show the heart of God the Father and how his love for us is so relentless. See, in this story we realize that many times we are either the angry son. Sometimes, if you're like me, you've been the prodigal son. But God is calling us to a love of the Father to be the one other son who's in the story, who is Jesus Christ, who shows us such relentless and reckless love throughout our whole life. See, in this we learn the story of intimacy versus taking. The first son said to the, to, to the father, give me all that is mine. Give me my inheritance. And see, back in that day, to go to a father and say, give me my inheritance before it was time, was basically to say to the father, Man, I wish you were dead. Because I want what's mine when you die, except you're not really dead, so give it to me now. Right? Does everybody understand that? And so what an insult in the face of the father. But the father, his first response is love. And one thing that we don't realize in the story as well is that the older son, who we find out at the end of the story, actually gets two-thirds of the inheritance where the younger son only gets a third of the inheritance. But the mindset of the younger son is, instead of intimacy in the father's house, his mindset is, I want to take from the father. It's a devaluing of the relationship. The moment that we ask for what we think we want for ourselves is the moment that we begin to stray away from the amazing and reckless love of Father God. But here's something that's so amazing in this story is that God loves each and every one of us so much that he's willing to let us go. The father loved the son so much that he said, I am willing to let you go. And so we jump to this part of the story where I really want us just to kind of sit in for tonight. And I think God's got a lot for us in this. Is that reckless living, as we see for the prodigal son, will always bring us to the end of ourself. Because he is at the end of his rope. He's cleaning swine, the pig of the day. Which is really, if you don't know it, is the worst for the Jew, Right? the unclean animal that you're supposed to stay away with, he ends up in his reckless living getting to his bottom, which means he is working with swine. And the Bible even says that he came to his senses. Remember that part? It says that when he came to his senses, he said, I can go to my father's house. So that basically means that he was out of his what? Thank you. Mine. One person, thank you. Helen, you get it? You're with, okay. He was out of his mind. He was out of his senses. When you get to the bottom, the end of your rope, you only have one place to look, and that's up. And God loves us so much that he is willing to let us get to the bottom. He is willing to let us get to the pig pen if it means a turning of our heart back to the Father. If it means a turning of our heart back to a full embrace of God's love and all that he has for us. Several years ago, uh, due to my own decisions, due to my own sin, I was in such a broken area, broken place, and every relationship with my life was broken. And I was in such a devastated place. 
Everything that I had tried to do, I could not fix the brokenness that was in my life. And I remember one day driving a car that was loaned to me because I was really on the verge of losing everything for my family, losing everything in business, losing everything in relationships. I was driving this Volkswagen Beetle that this old 67-year-old lady let me use and let me borrow so graciously. But I remember in that moment just saying, God, fix this. God, save this. God, I need you here. And he said so clearly in this moment, he said, Torrance, am I enough? And I said, God, yeah, yes, you're enough. But God, give me this. Give me that. Give me. No, 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 you don't understand. If I choose to not save your marriage, if I choose to not save those relationships, if I choose to not ever give you another job again, am I enough? And it was in that moment, at that bottom, that I realized for all these years that God in himself was not enough. That I wanted the father for the father's house. I wanted the father for my inheritance. I wanted the father for my job. But I didn't want the father just for his presence. And when God brought me to that point through tears and through brokenness, I remember saying over and over and over, you are enough. You are enough. Even if you are enough, you are enough. And that was the beginning of true repentance. That was the beginning of not just turning away from, but turning to God. Turning back to his presence. And see, here's what's interesting about the prodigal son. Is that he had not ceased being a son of the father, amen. But what was interesting is that based upon his circumstance and his situation, he saw himself differently. He no longer saw himself as a son of the father. Because there in the pig pen, in the pig pen of your life and your situations, if you keep focused on the situation or the circumstance, your perspective will not be God's perspective. You will not see yourself in light of who God sees you as. You will see yourself as a slave and not as a son. He started believing the lies that the father would no longer accept him. The reality was that the love of the father had never changed based upon what the prodigal had done. And that's a lie that I've always grown up with that the enemy has always used in my life is that you have position based upon what you do or don't do. Anybody ever struggle with that here in this place? Are you going to be honest? Amen. Me too. Here's the, here's the reality of this. Shame and guilt keeps us focused on our sin and not the love of the father. It keeps lies in front of us. It keeps lies in front of us that rather than believing the truth, we embrace a lie. And the interesting thing about shame that we see from the prodigal son is that shame breeds fear, which then steps into we have to do something about it. So if I'm walking around saying I am less than, that I am not worthy, that you somehow look at me and think that Torrance doesn't measure up, that's shame. I'm embracing shame. Just like the son embraced shame there in the pig pen. Then fear sets in. Fear says, you will never love me if you know the real me. Then I must do something about it. I must do something to control my behavior because the shame is not enough. But what happens is shame, fear, control becomes a cycle. And it just spins and spins. Because now I'm experiencing shame because I'm controlling it. So for me, as a third grader, I was this little boy. I wasn't as strong and buff as I am right now. I was this little tiny little tyke. And my parents at second grade moved us away from an inner city school where every kiddo looked like me into a school of affluence where most kids did not look like me, if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, the interesting thing about this is stepping into this environment, the other kids did not know how to receive torrents just like I didn't know how to receive them. 
And so because of the shame, because I am less than, there's a fear of what the kids are going to think about me. My father's not in the situation interpreting for me, son, your identity and your significance is not in what people think. So I'm as an eight-year-old trying to figure this out. So what do I do? I control the situation and Helen is right. I act out. Because now I have to control my environment. I have to reject you before you reject me. I have to become the goofball because in that you think I have identity and you think I have purpose and you think I have worth. And that's how shame works. That's how fear works and it establishes itself in control. And that cycle starts over and over and over again. Here's what we see in the story in Luke 15 is that we can always turn home. I don't know what your situation, I don't know what your circumstances, I don't know what you have done or what you didn't do, but God the Father, the reckless prodigal father is saying to you, where you're sitting tonight, it doesn't matter what you have done, you can always turn home. The prodigal just wanted to be with the father. He knew he had wasted all of his inheritance, he had nothing he could take from the father, but now he just wanted to be with him, even if it meant that he was going to be a slave. Did you catch that part? I can return to my father's home because there, at least I can be a slave. There, at least I can work for my father. There, at least I'm not eating the cuds in the pig pen. When you hit your rock bottom, will it become more about the relationship with the father or what the father can do for you? Here's the part I want you to catch. The son, as we talked about before, says it would be better to be a slave at home than a free man in a pig pen. We all get so focused on that the son returned home. And that's the amazing part of the story is that the son did come home. But one of the things that we do not realize is there in the pig pen, in the moment where we have always said, this is the moment of celebration, the son turns home. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. This is where the climax of the story gets amazing. We have failed to realize in the church is that he is still operating from a place of a slave. He is saying, I can only go into his presence if I continue to operate as a slave. I don't have sonship, but the way that I go into my father's house is I will work. The way I go into my father's house is that I will somehow perform. If I perform or if I work, I will have a place in the father's house. And I'm going to say something that might offend some of you guys right now. And if, that's a, if it does, fill out a comment card. You can send it to me. Or even better yet, just come see me. That works too. God, right now in this generation, is telling us there are slaves in the master's house. There are slaves in the church of God today. Inside these four walls are people who do not know that they are sons and daughters of the king. We are in the Father's house, but we are not living from a place of love of the Father. Because it is the love of the Father that gives us the power to operate in kingdom authority. It is the love of the Father that once we receive it, then we can then give it away. So God is saying it is time to wake up. Yes, return to the Father's love, but return to the Father's love from a place of understanding that we are sons and daughters of the King. There's this amazing song, and you guys, how many of you guys heard Jake Hamilton uh, when he came in January? Were you here? Okay. There was this part when he came and he led worship. There's this part where it says, I am destiny. Does anybody know the next part? Probably not. I know it's, that's a hard test. I am royalty. I have been set free. I'm going to change the world. You guys remember that now? 
And there's something that is always released in the atmosphere when we get to that part and we sing that song. The reason why is because we are declaring over ourselves our true identity of being sons and daughters of the Most High King. And that is how we will change the world. Because the world is not looking for people who perform, who are trying to get identity from achievement. They're looking for people who know who they are in Jesus Christ, who are bathed in love because it is love that will change this world. Amen. And it's sons and daughters who live from the Father's house who will do so. 180 degree change, yes, that is part of repentance. But as I think Mike was talking about several weeks ago, there's been a word for this house, that Romans 12 talks about, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Repentance, part of repentance is, yes, turning away from this sin, turning away from this area, turning away from this relationship. But another part of it is walking it out with a renewing of the mind. And that's one thing that the prodigal son was missing. The father is waiting the whole time for us to come back home. It says this, while he was still what? Does anybody know? Far off. And you guys have heard this part, if you've been in the church for any length of time. That while he was still far off, which means he was looking, he was searching, he was waiting, he was longing for the return of his son. That is a reckless father. That's a father who says, I don't care if you have just asked for my inheritance as if I am dead. That is a father that doesn't, that doesn't care where have you been. That's what my dad would have said. If I was gone for two months and I spent all his money, he would have said, let me see your wallet. How much money you got? Where have you been? What did you do? Did you crash the car? Like, right? Anybody else would have gotten that response if we're honest? But this father was looking while he was still far off. His eyes are forever upon you. I have a son, he's eight years old, you guys have heard me talk about him before, and uh, he loves Legos, like that's his, his, that's his go-to toy, that's his currency in life is Legos, so if there's ever anything that we want him to do or need him to do, it's like, dude, you want some Legos? Like, oh yeah, let's go, right, that's his, that's his love language, Legos. So I remember being at Target, and he was like four years old, and I was, I was looking at something in the store, and we probably much all of us have been here. Looking at something in the store, and he had decided to wander off. And so there's that moment of like, oh, he's right near me. And I turn around, and all of a sudden, he's not, right? So you've all been there, and, and there's that moment of like, okay, it's going to be fine. He's just in the next aisle. Don't freak out. Go to the next aisle, he's not there. You look in the next aisle, he's not there. You're looking under coat racks, you're looking under everything, you're starting to scream his name. And that moment of such fear for a father literally just grips you. And so you're looking, you're searching, you're finding security. Check the cameras. He looks like this. I don't even remember what shirt he had on. His mom dressed him, whatever. You're just freaking out, right? But there's that moment of when you find your son finally. It it seems like an eternity is probably only a minute and a half. But when you find him, your first response is not to say, Scott, how dare you leave my presence? Your first response is, son, I am so glad to see you and I'm glad that you're okay. But in the church, under religion, under the pharisaical spirit, we have been taught that the father is consistently angry with us unless we do X, Y, and Z. That the father is consistently angry with us unless we perform. And church, I want to let you know one of the most powerful and most demonic spirits is the spirit of religion. And that's why the father came to destroy that. And that's why the Pharisees put him on a cross. Because the enemy knew that love 
is what the world needs. The, the enemy knew that if he can get a church operating from a place of love, the world will never be the same. And that's what God was illustrating here in this story. The father wants us to return back to a proper relationship with him. That's why when he saw his son, he put on the robe. That's why when he saw his son, he put on the ring. That's why when he saw his son, he put on the shoes. It was saying, you know what, Mike, you were gone. But hey, I'm giving you back your royalty. This is, the ring was a sign of royalty. The shoes, the robe, all of that. The father didn't say, you know what, Mike, you did that. So you're going to be restored back to proper relationship after 30 days of probation. After 30 days, and if you do well in 30 days, then guess what? Welcome back, my son. He didn't do that. But that's how we've grown up. And in my life, and I've grown up in the church my whole life. Hmm. You mean you can have baggage and problems and you, you can be broken in the church? Yes, you can. It can happen. So my whole life, I would return to the Father. There was this repentance. There was this turn from sin. There was me wanting to get back in the Father's house, but it was all contingent upon my performance. It was all contingent upon, okay, I really did this. That's a really bad sin. So after like three weeks, God will be happy with me again. And here's how it plays out. Because some of you are sitting there saying like, oh, man, I would never, I would never think that. Maybe you would think this. Like, you know what? I did this so God, he, he won't bless me in this season. It's real subtle, the lies of the enemy. But if God the Father is so reckless in his love and restores us, the restoration is immediate. The restoration to sonship is immediate. And as a matter of fact, you always were a son and always a daughter. Right? So you can never step out of that. But here's the thing, and Jeff talked about this two weeks ago. There are consequences for our decisions. There's consequences for sin. Mike was talking several weeks ago and he used the S word. People were like, he said sin. Oh my goodness. And I was like, God, yeah, I thought. That's the reality is of that. There are consequences to our sin. Jeff talked about that when we make those kind of choices, there's an open door that we open up to the enemy. But it doesn't change our position in the Father. The Father wants to restore and renew our minds to how we see ourselves. I used to work in a, a, a car shop, believe it or not. I used to work on cars like when I was a kid. So I was 14 and I would do oil changes and I was the guy that would come out and like pump your gas. I'm old enough, like they had full service stations. Anybody else want to tell on yourself how old you are? Yeah. Okay. So I was just the guy that would go out there. But I started working on alignments as well. So the first thing that you do, people come in and they're like, oh, my car's pulling to the left. Back in that day, we didn't just throw it on a machine. We actually drove it around and we tested and yeah, sure enough, it's pulling to the right or it's pulling to the left. And back in my day as well is that we didn't have power steering, uh, which is something that all our kids take for granted. Um, and most of us have in our cars now. So if a car is pulling significantly to the right, it takes a lot of strength and a lot of effort to keep that car on the road. It takes a lot of strength and effort to keep that car going in the direction where it will not wreck or hurt itself or hurt its passengers. And the same way is true in our lives. The same way is true in our perspective and our view of ourselves in light of the Father. So many of us, like myself, we are misaligned with God's perspective of how he sees us. And sometimes the perspective can be just a little off, and the enemy works in that. 
But if we continue to operate in those ungodly beliefs, if we continue to operate in those perspectives that are not in line with what the Holy Spirit is telling us, are not in line with God's word, is not in line with what we're hearing from the Father and his presence, then we begin to what's called drift. And slowly but surely, you don't notice the drift at first. It takes a while to notice, oh, dude, I've been driving for four miles and I'm that far off track. The same thing is true for us spiritually. Is that when we start to adopt small lies in our life, when we start to adopt areas where we are not in agreement with how the Father sees us, we become misaligned and there's a realignment that needs to happen. And the Father is talking to us about that all throughout this story. Only the Father could restore the Son to sonship. He endured the shame of the community before the community could shame his Son. And this is what I mean by this. Is in that day, it says that while the Son was still far off, the Father did what? Did the Father wait for him? You guys can talk. Did the Father wait for him? No, he ran. Ran for him. Which is very significant. See, here's the thing about Jesus. I love Jesus. Anybody love Jesus? Ridiculous storyteller. And the crazy thing is, like, they would ask him, like, so, Father, what do you think? He's like, mm, funny that you would ask me. Holy Spirit, give me the download. Ridiculous story. Here's the part about this is that the Pharisees, so steeped in religion, so steeped in their, their construct, Jesus in even the small details just blows their mind. When he says the Father saw him from far off and started running, they probably like, what man would run in our society? Right? That's probably what his response because men were not to run in that Jewish society. Because they wore these crazy long gowns and clothing that we see all the time in pictures. And in order to run, you had to pick up, does anybody know the name of it? What they wore? I'll have to research that part. They're big long gowns, we'll just call it that. They had to pick them up and run, which normally would be fine and not a big deal. But that meant that the men had to show their legs, which was shameful in that society. But the father, enduring the shame for the son, ran before this crazy community could get to him. Because let me tell you this, and Jesus doesn't really go into this in the story, but this son got his inheritance early. There are a bunch of other sons in this city who want their inheritance too, but the fathers are like, you're not getting that? Like, what are you talking about? Man, you didn't know, you didn't know that Johnny got his inheritance. Did you know that, Dad? So all these sons are just ticked off. And everybody's mad. The, son, the dads are mad. The sons are mad. Everybody's mad. And here comes the prodigal son who knows he's a slave, is walking with his head down, and the father sprints to him and says, I love you. I want you back in my house. He doesn't do what we would do. Wait for the son's explanation. Hear him out. Well, I got a couple of questions. No, 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 no. He immediately screams, my son is home. Runs for him. Says, Put on the fattened calf, ring, robe, shoes. That is the immediate response of the father running to his son with such reckless love and abandon. Let's talk about the older son. Older son, not happy. Matter of fact, very, very angry. And we know the response of the, of the angry son to the point where he won't even go in. He won't even go into the house. But another servant comes out and says, dude, have you heard what happened? Your, your brother, who everybody loves, he's home. I, we can't believe it. Come on in. And he won't go in. So the father has to go out to him. The father went out to the son. 
even in that detail of the story, even in that part of this illustration, the father is modeling for us his true heart and who he is, is that he will go out to you wherever you are. Whether you're in the middle of a pig pen, whether you're in the middle of a broken marriage, whether you're in the middle of a job loss, whether you're in the middle of whatever the situation is, the father will come out to you. See, Jesus is talking about the third son here in this story. And the third son is Jesus Christ. Modeling perfect sonship, modeling perfect love, modeling what it looks like to operate from grace, love, and true acceptance. Because a son moves from position. He already has it all, and therefore he can give from that place. He lives in the father's house, and therefore he can love like the father. The older son didn't understand the father. The older son's mindset was, Father, do you not know all I have done for you? I have worked in these fields. I have asked you for a go, and you have not given me any. I've wanted to hang out with my friends, and what have you done? He's thinking performance, he's thinking achievement, he's thinking striving. And I have grown up in church, in religion, thinking that if I do all of these things, somehow I will be in a greater right standing with God. Somehow I will be more worthy of his love. Somehow I can offset my brokenness if I do all of these things. And the father is saying, come just as you are. I'll take your sin, I'll take your brokenness, because it doesn't change because you were in the pig pen, because you wasted my inheritance, because everybody is angry at you. It doesn't change who you are. You are still a son. We need to take the lies or lesser truths in our life and break agreement with them. We will never come into who we are without doing this. Here's something important I want you guys all to get is that many times we will stay focused on things that are true. Was it true that he was in the pig pen? Yes. Was it true that he had squandered all of his inheritance? Yes. Was it true that people in his community probably didn't love him and didn't want him back anymore? Yes. But just like the prodigal son, we get focused on the smaller truths in our life, and we miss the greater truth of what God says about our situation, circumstance, or who we are. We're so focused on embracing and believing these little truths that we miss out on the larger truth that God has for us. The larger truth is this, is that you are clothed in righteousness. The larger truth is this, that behold, old things have passed away and that the new has come. The truth is this, is that you are son and daughter of the most high king and nothing can separate, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That is the greater truth. And so when we are faced with that, we need to break agreement, sometimes with lies, but sometimes even a smaller truth that we're embracing and say, God, Holy Spirit, enlighten me with your greater truth about who I am as your son or as your daughter. We don't have to do anything to be who we already are in the kingdom. We do not need to learn it. No, I'm sorry. We do need to learn it and we do need to know it. But there's nothing that we have to do. In Acts 17, 28, it says this, for in him we live and move and have our being. And then it says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So in him we move. In him we are our very being. All my movement is from a place as a son. And guys, in our life, we have a choice of where we move from. We can move from a place of a slave or an orphan, or we can move from a place of a son or a daughter. So in every circumstance, in every situation, I can step towards someone as an orphan, which means I'm approaching this situation, I'm approaching you from a place of lack. 
I'm not significant. I don't have worth. So therefore, I have to do something for you to tell me that I'm worthy. I have to manipulate this situation somehow for there to be a better outcome. Because you remember, orphans could depend on no one. An orphan mindset is, I am all alone. I have no place to belong. A son is different. A son will move into a situation and say, you know what? I can love you even at the expense of myself. Because that's true love is laying down your life for someone else. So I can move into a situation completely different because I already know I'm a son. Because what you say about me, it doesn't change me. It doesn't change my circumstance or situation. Matter of fact, it doesn't even change my future or my destiny. Just because you say I can't have this job or I can't do that, I'm a son and I'm taken care of by the God who literally can count the very hairs on my head. So based upon that, I'm now stepping in with kingdom authority. Based upon that, now I'm stepping into a situation. Instead of the situation changing me, we carry the presence of God with us into a situation, and now we change that situation. And that's what God is looking for. He's looking for sons and daughters that carry his presence wherever that they go. I am all he says that I am. We sing that song all the time in church. You guys know that song? I am all he says I am. Powerful song. And just that truth. God, who do, you, who do you say that I am? I am all of these things. In the back of my Bible, I've got this, this I am chart. You guys have probably seen it before. Um, if you don't, you can just search on the Internet for uh, who am I scriptures. And it's so powerful to soak yourselves in these. I just want to read a couple of them to you. It says, who am I? I am accepted because in John 1.12 it says, I am God's child. I am accepted because in John 15.15 15, it says, I am Christ's friend. In Romans 5, 1, it says, I have been justified. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, I am united with the Lord and I am one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, I have been bought with a price and I belong. I belong to God. Ephesians 1, 1, I am a saint. Ephesians 1, 5, I have been adopted as God's child. Ephesians 2, 18, I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1, 14, I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. That's who we are. That's a son. That's a daughter of the Most High King. And when we operate from that place, it changes everything. Unconditional love of the Father is never based upon the merit of the one receiving it. Let me say that again. Unconditional love of the Father is never based upon us the merit of what we've done and us receiving it. It's always based upon the nature and character of God. And when we get that in our minds, it changes everything. It changes our perspective. It changes the way that we live our life. I have struggled for so many years saying, I am not worthy of God's love. I am not worthy of his promises. I am not worthy of the destiny. I am not worthy of the future. And here's the reality. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, I get it all. I'm a son. I'm a son of righteousness. That changes everything. Now it's like, oh, <laughs> you're right, God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did upon the cross by declaring me free. Now there is no condemnation for those who are in, and I am in Christ Jesus. So what starts to happen, perspective starts to change. See, because in the world, we hear all the time, that person has 
great potential, right? We always say that. Man, that baseball player has really great potential. That preacher, one day, one day, they'll get there. And the problem with that is, is that where there's this constant striving for a place that in our mind we believe we are not at yet. So there's this constant performance, there's this constant waiting, there's this constant, yeah, but I'm not that person today. What if we start operating right now in what God says that you are? What if when you get into the presence of God, when you are washing yourself with his word, when you are around other brothers and sisters in Christ, God starts downloading for you, this is who you are. You know what, I didn't just create you for, uh, to be a businesswoman. You're a kingdom businesswoman that I want to transform your business. And what if you, instead of saying, one, saying, you know what, God, I remember you gave me that prophetic word, and one day, one day. What if it's like, no, today, I operate from this position of power and sonship and as a daughter today. Because that's who God said I am. That changes everything. No longer do we live in striving for something, for potential. One day we'll step into. We are that now. And the amazing thing is God wants to reveal it to us. That when you get in his presence, you put on your worship music and you just get quiet, no distractions. Just ask God, God, what do you want to show me about myself today? And listen. Listen to what he says. Because guess what? He's like, I've been waiting for you to come into my house, into my presence, and just hear. I've been waiting to tell you about who you are. I, cre I created you. So long ago, you weren't just born in 1977. I knew you before you were even in your mother's womb. And let me tell you about who you are. Then you get into his word. Then all of a sudden he starts to highlight things that you're like, what? He just told me that when I was in my quiet time in his presence. And then I just picked up the word and that totally lines up. That's crazy. Or is it? Then all of a sudden you're walking to church and somebody's like, man, I've been, just been on my heart. And God's just, God loves doing that stuff. He loves whispering to his sons and daughters about who you are. But we got to get in the presence of the Father. The Father is ready to lavish us with his love. He's ready for us to rest in his house, to send us out in the presence and the power of God. But it's got to come from a place of sonship. It's got to come from a place of understanding who we are as sons and daughters of God. I'm going to have the band um, come back up. If you guys are around, you guys can come back up. I don't know where you are tonight. Could be that there are people here that you, you resonate with the, the reckless son. You, re you, you identify with someone who has, quote, unquote, turned their back on God. Somebody who is in the pig pen of life. Whether you put yourself there or circumstances or situations. And you may be sitting there tonight saying, I, I, can't, Torrance, I, I can't return home. You don't understand. I I have to do all these things to somehow make it right before I get back into a right standing or the presence of God. If that's you tonight, God wants to speak to you. He wants to say to you different that I knew what you were going to do before you did it. And I love you the same now as I did before you did it as I do after you've done it. My love is endless for you. Perhaps today you are truthfully the religious son. You're the angry son. And you look at all these other believers who, are, who have embraced God's grace. You look at other people who have turned away from God for 10 years and they come back to God and they're just showered with blessings. And you say to the father, what about me? 
I, I have been in your house. I have worked for you. I have memorized scripture after scripture after scripture. I've done Sunday school. I go to church four times a week. And why not me, God? Why is it not my time? And God is saying to you, you've always been in my house. You've always been my son. You've always been my daughter. This has always been yours. But you have been coming to me from performance. You've been coming to me out of achievement and striving. And I'm asking you tonight to lay that all down. I'm saying no more. No more on your own. Just rest in me. Rest in my presence. And let me start to speak to you your identity and who you are. So as the band begins to pray, play. Holy Spirit, we just ask you right now in this place that you would start to show each and every one of us the, the dark recesses of our hearts. The places where we have believed lies or lesser truths about you and your character. And then who you say we are in return. That you would begin to show us the places where God, we have become, we've gotten out of alignment. Where we are no longer walking side by side in your presence and with the loving Father. We have drifted away. God, show us tonight so that we can come back to you. That we can come back to your heart. We can come back to the Father's embrace. God, I pray that you would begin to whisper over your sons and daughters who they are in your presence, who they are according to your character and your word. That you would start to show them through dreams and visions and prophecy and words of knowledge, God, your plans for who they are right now, what they can walk in right now, what destiny they can embrace right now. That they do not have to wait for a one day or a someday, but that it is today, God. Lord, I pray that you would start to show Sons and daughters, Lord, where they have wanted your gifts, where they have wanted your things, they have wanted what you can give more than they've wanted you. More than we've wanted your presence, more than we've wanted relationship with you. And God, you would bring us to a place where you are enough, you are enough, you are enough. And just basking in your presence and your love is enough. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling with the spirit of religion right now. Who perhaps have grown up in the church and have grown up in a, in a place of, I have to do all these things to be holy. I have to do all these things to be in a right relationship with God. Lord, I pray that you would start to take the calluses off of blind eyes. That you would start to open up deaf ears. That, Father God, that you would start to just chisel away at hard hearts, Lord. And in the way that you do that through your love and your grace and mercy, you're so gentle. And you're so kind and you're so loving. So, God, I pray that you would just start those hearts of stone, Lord, that you would start to melt them. That you would start to reform and reshape. Lord, we just want to say we're coming back to your house. We're coming back to our Father where nothing has ever changed. We thank you for putting the ring on our finger. We thank you for clothing us with your robes of righteousness. And God, we thank you for the sandals that you have so graciously placed upon our feet that we may go anywhere, Father, with you. May you make us lovers, lovers of your presence, God. That above all else in this world, the silence, Father God, of your presence would be what we're after. Where we can hear you speak like never before to our destiny, like never before to who we are, like never before to our identity. In the name of Jesus we pray. You know, tonight we've been talking about sons and daughters and being in the Father's house. And the reality is there could be somebody here tonight 
uh, that you're just saying, Torrance, I, I've never actually come into a relationship with the Father. I, I've never even had one to lose. So I, I, I need to start there. And if that's you, I'm going to be here on the front row, and you can find me during worship, and I would love to pray with you. I would love to just join you in inviting the most powerful, loving, gracious person in your life to take over so that you can embrace, so that you can encounter this love of God that will forever change you, forever change your household, that salvation may literally come to your household, to everything in your life. We're going to stand, we're going to continue to just to worship, and just as God just speaks to you, maybe you want to find somebody else to just pray with, maybe you just want to pray where you're at, um, there'll be people down here that would love to pray with you, and love just to kind of war with you over these things that God is just bubbling up and is just revealing. But there's more that God has for us in this season. There's more that he has for us as sons and daughters. As we operate from that place, the presence of God will overflow in our life. And that is what's going to change things. That's what's going to change Castle Rock, our country, our homes. Revival starts there, amen.